Hello and welcome to She Starts It with Angelica Malin, the podcast that celebrates incredible, inspiring women who are at the top of their industries, from food to fashion, law to politics. This is a podcast about celebrating female entrepreneurship, power and potential, exploring what it really takes to be a trailblazer in today's world. I'm your host, entrepreneur and journalist Angelica Malin, and every week I'll be asking a new guest for their three career turning points and answering the question we've all wondered at some point, how does she start it? She Starts It with Angelica Malin is kindly sponsored by Bloom and Wild. If you're like me and you love having fresh flowers around you while you're relaxing at home, but I hate having to carry them around with me all day, and who's ever home long enough to arrange a delivery anymore? Bloom and Wild have got us covered. They're the UK's top-rated online florist, and they deliver right to your letterbox. So you can get fresh buds ready to flower, they can last up to 10 days, and you don't even have to worry about being home for the delivery. They'll give you £10 off your first order with the code SHE. Straight and simple, S-H-E. They offer free next day delivery up to 10pm. They ship across the UK, France and Germany, so they've got you covered. So head on over to blueandwild.com, use the offer code SHE so they know I sent you, and treat yourself. Alice Living is a health and well-being influencer, best-selling author and personal trainer. Using her own experience of transforming her lifestyle, Alice has inspired a shift in the modern-day consumer's attitude to healthy eating and exercise. Alice's genuine message and passion has seen her build an audience of over 630,000 followers and release three best-selling books. A qualified personal trainer, Alice also works with clients one-to-one to help them reach their goals. Alice's global reach has seen her appear on leading publications such as the New York Post and Women's Health UK. She also hosts monthly Living Well panel events and has launched two of her own collections with Primark, as well as working with brands such as River Island, Sweaty Betty, Herbal Essences and Samsung. She's also been made an ambassador for Women's Aid. Thank you, Alice. Thank you. That, that reads as a wonderful intro. It just reads as a very full, a full life, I would say. It's so weird, though, because it's happened in such a short space of time. Mm. And I suddenly get to the point now where I'm like, oh, God, what next? Yeah, that's a lot. It is. It is. But it's great. You know, it's been a really exciting few years. I think it's hard when a lot of stuff happens in a very short space of time because mm. it takes a long time for your almost your body and your brain and your, like, growing up to catch up with everything that's gone on. Like, it. All of that stuff happened in a time where I was between the ages of 21 and 25. And I think that's such a, like, a, a time when you're, like, really finding out who you are. You know, you're like, I finished uni and I got my first job and I moved up, moved out of my home and I lived on my own for a bit. And all of those things are, like, really moulding who you are as a person. And, yeah, I think now I'm sort of letting the dust settle. And I did have a period definitely towards the end of last year and the start of this year where I just had to, like, take a step back and be like, whew, mm. it's been a really busy time. Because you're right, they're already quite fluxy years. Yeah. And then add all on to that, like, loads of career changes, mm. really exciting opportunities. It's quite a lot to deal with. Yeah, it is. And I think... I have always tried to just embrace whatever whatever path I feel like my life is taking me. Like, I had never planned to be on this trajectory in terms of what I'm doing with my career. But it just so happened that I, you know, I fell into it and then I really enjoyed it. So then I pursued X and then I pursued Y. And each each sort of decision in terms of my career has then led on to something, something mm-hmm. else. And I've always done things with 100% passion. And I think that's something that's really important is... If you love what you do, there'll always be there'll always be a route to, to to kind of success. There'll always be a way. You know, when one door's closed or something hasn't hasn't worked, mm-hmm. I've always found another route. So you haven't had that much of a plan. 
like zero plan. <laughs> I mean, no like plan. absolutely no plan. I I look at other people who are who are like particularly organised and structured with their life and their success and everything, and everything's like sort of got a plan and they very much got like a strategy. And the amount of times that I've been asked, like, so what's your five year plan? And I'm like, I have absolutely no idea. You tell me. You've probably got more idea than I have. Like, I don't I don't plan, and you know that might be to my detriment. I don't know, but it's just never been something that I've really felt comfortable to do just because you never know Mm. you know and particularly in the industry that I work in everything is so changing jobs come in jobs go you know you think you're going to get something and you don't you think something's going to happen and it doesn't so you can never 100% do stuff sorry with 100% certainty um and so my moral is just to enjoy what I'm doing Mm. you know I work very very hard and I'm not saying that I don't but my hard work is put into passion projects that I have control over, but then also sitting back and letting things come to me mm. and taking things that, that I think are going to make me genuinely happy. On a more kind of gritty topic, is that ever challenging financially? If it's like you're not quite sure the regularity in which things are coming in or going to work out? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I think talking about money is such a mm. grey area. And it's it is, it's yeah. something that particularly influences are like, oh, God, no, don't talk about mm. money. Because it makes um, us feel vulnerable, right? We don't want to talk about money. Yeah, and because I just think, you know, for a lot of people, there's still that kind of like that that British, that stiff, mm-hmm. you know, like my family never really spoke about money. So it was never something that I felt comfortable coming out and being like, yeah, I'm motivated by money. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I think I'm, I find myself sitting in both camps. To some extent, I am motivated by money, mm-hmm. naturally. You know, I think there are certain things that I think get you out of bed in the morning and earning money is 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 one of them for me and I'm not ashamed to say that but it's not my sole motivation uh I'm grateful to be in a position where I absolutely love what I do you know if if I if money was my sole incentive to to um in life I wouldn't have chosen to be a personal trainer because the pay isn't great Mm. but it is one of the most fulfilling things that I do as part of my huge Mm. career that has lots of different um parts so yeah I mean that that's that's something in itself I think it hasn't ever worried me because I've always, you know, even from a young age, I've always been quite, I don't know how to describe it. I've been quite tenacious in that, like, I've always known that I was going to work. Mm. Even if it was a shitty bar job, mm. I've always worked. I remember when I was at school and I went to, I had a very, like, you know, privileged upbringing and, and, when I was in sick form, I remember... Well, no, actually, even before that, when I turned 16, I remember all of my friends getting, you know, brand new cars and stuff. And my mum was like, right, 16, write your CV. She stood over me at the computer as I wrote it up. And she was like, you're going to take it around to every bar going. And whoever have you, you're going to take that job. You need to start earning your money. And, you know, that was something that I didn't see any of my friends doing. And I was like, why me? Like, And the injustice that I felt at the time, oh, my God. I literally remember being like, this is so unfair. You're the worst mother ever. But actually, now I look back and I think, thank God you did that. Because it instilled in me such a good work ethic from a young age that I remember when... So I've had many sort of, like, changes in in, in the plan. And one of them was that I was going to go to university and study history. And I got to the point where it was literally... couple of weeks out from going and I was like I can't I can't do this I want to do musical theatre that was my that was my biggest love was to perform and I turned around to my parents and said I can't I can't go and my mum said okay fine if that's what you're gonna do that's cool but you need to get a job and you need to earn money because you're gonna pay for your education so 
couple of days later, I went out. I found myself a job in a pharmaceutical company doing their filing and paperwork. Oh, wow. And I worked in a dark room for, I think it was seven or eight months um, until I had enough money to then go out and start auditioning for theatre schools. And, you know, like some people would be like, yeah, so you should. But also like the environment that I'd grown up in, People got handed stuff on a plate. Yeah. You know, it was very, very nepotistic, you know, because your dad worked there, you're going to get a job there and that kind of stuff. And my my mum particularly was very, very driven to not let any of us, me and my brother or my sister, um, you know, get any handouts in life. She wanted us to work hard for it and to know the, the, the value of hard work and know the value of money and earning your own money. And I think, yeah, going back to your question... I don't worry too much about that because I think I know that whatever happens, I will always, you know, it might not be the best income, but I'll always, always have work. money and I'll mm. always work and I'll always throw myself into whatever whatever it is that I'm doing 100%. Mm. I suppose that to break that down, if I was to psychoanalyse it, I feel like that's a security in yourself rather than perhaps a security in the actual job that you're doing, mm. but it's a belief in yourself that mm. you know your own work ethic and you mm. know your work to make it work. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's that's definitely right. Yeah, I think... I'm just being a mini therapist. Huh? No, I love that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> welcome. I'll charge you later. <laughs> um, so for each show, I ask my guests to tell me three key things that were turning points in their careers. Please to tell me the first one that you chose my first turning point well actually I think I already just talked about it because I and I didn't write that down there but I didn't think about that but I you know speaking about money one of my first things that was the, a big big turning point and a big kind of like moment where I think a lot of people were like what the hell are you doing was when I decided not to go to university mm. you know I did really well at school I was house captain and I'd like to think that I you know did fairly well in my A levels and my exams and I and going back to the work ethic I worked really really hard at school I revised you know my brother and my sister were the complete opposite to me but I was so motivated and driven you know with my exams and stuff I would get up I'd have a schedule I'd revise really hard and I did really well but there was just something in me that so was not made for that world. Mm. And I, you know, no matter how much I tried to convince myself that I thought it would be a good idea to go, I couldn't. And I, there was always this niggling thing that, like, I absolutely loved the theatre and I loved performing and I'd always done it from a young age and I couldn't let that dream die. And, you know, I knew, and so many people around me, particularly, like, my grandparents and my friends would be like... Alice, you know, you're going to be out of work. You're going to be a jobbing actor for the rest of your life. You're going to be waitressing tables. You know, I remember my mum even saying that. Like, you need, she didn't, and she didn't say it in a bad way. She just said, you need to be prepared for the reality of what, what your life might hold. And, you know, you're not going to be earning good money. You might, you know, have to work two or three jobs just mm. to get by. But if it's what you want to do, then that's fine. And my parents have always been very, very good at, accepting whatever it is that me, my brother and my sister want to do. You know, my sister went off to fashion college. My brother didn't even go to university. He went straight into a job. They've never pushed us to do anything. And I think that was really important because I could go and do musical theatre. I thankfully got into a really good college. I went to Bird College. And I those three years at, at theatre school shaped me as a person more than any other time in my life. It was so... Um, I don't even know the word. It was so, um, it was so hard, but so 
important to to go through all of that of those struggles. I met some of the best people I've ever met, you know, some of my closest friends. But also I was thrust into an environment that was so incredibly diverse mm. um, compared to where I'd come from. You know, I'd grown up in such a bubble. I grew up in like, you know, very much middle class family, went to private school. And then suddenly I was in a year with 80 other people that were from so many different backgrounds to me. And it was a real eye opener. And I suddenly had this kind of realization of there's a big wide world out there and there are lots of other people that are far less fortunate than me and a definite feeling of gratitude mm. um but yeah i i'm so glad that i did that and if i hadn't i wouldn't be where i am today yeah and where did you go after theater school so i was very very lucky to get a job which doesn't happen or very often but i um i graduated and walked into my first job um in annie the musical and ended up touring the UK for a year. Um, again, an incredible opportunity, something that if I could have my time again, I would go back and do a million times over. It was so amazing. And suddenly I'd gone from working so hard in those three years to to think like, and the possibility of performing was like a distant dream to then doing that every single night, you know, playing to packed out houses of people and standing ovations and stuff. That was that was amazing and you know it was really like my dream basically um i remember when you were in annie and you were doing instagram yeah. and i remember you had these kind of dual lives yeah it was really strange because i'd like put pictures up in my wigs and stuff before i was getting ready for a show and then in the evening um but you know at the same time things were really taking off with my blogging and um I think what I found really difficult was I had an incredible year, but it was really coming to the end of that year and having spent this, this you mean, you're really thrust together with a very small group of people and you beca- they become your family, basically, because you're touring all together. You see them, you, you spend more day, more time with them in the day than you do w- without. And seeing those people going out for jobs and starting to audition for stuff and, you know, getting no's. Mm. And I was like hang on a second, these are some of the most talented people I've ever ever come across and they're getting turned down from auditions. Um, and that was a real reflection of, is this an industry that I want to go into? Um, and it was a real moment where I was like, look, I absolutely love the performing and I would, if I could isolate that and do that for the rest of my life, I would. But it's the fact that it comes with a real kind of like, not dark side but a real tough side of the industry where a lot of the time you're out of work but also a lot of the time you're really judged for the way you look Mm. and I actually came to the end of that year having you know with all the blogging and stuff that was really taking off and I was really finding my feet and finding confidence and I actually it was it was less the being out of work that that I didn't think I could handle it was I don't know if I'm mentally strong enough to deal with the uh constant comparison Mm. and the judgment on my physique and my look and how I am um, for the rest of my life. So you kind of just wanted to take yourself out of that space? Yes, completely. And where were you in your fitness journey during Annie? Um, I mean, I was training. I was probably a bit too obsessive I would get up, you know, a, a typical day on the show was me getting up at six, going to the gym making my prepping my meals for the day and then going and doing two shows one or two shows um 
walking everywhere because I was saving money because I was on like four hundred pound a week. So I would like even if I was staying forty fifty minutes out of the city, I would still make sure that was I that walked. what you were paid on the show? Oh yeah, wow. I mean, it's like it's not great. <laughs> yeah, I feel I like was, it's like a job that like you're famous basically, and it's that. And I mean, you, and you're staying in people's spare. Like you, I was. I mean, there were a few real horror moments. I remember my first week of tour. And I had messaged this guy on, he was, I went to school with him actually. And I'd messaged him on Facebook and been like, I know that you're at Newcastle Uni. Can I come and stay with you? Because I'm going to be in the, it was, it was the first city we went to on the tour. And I rocked up to this house. This guy wasn't even there. I had a room where it was, there was a drip from the ceiling coming down onto my bed. None of the lights worked. So I got back from my first show that, no, from teching the show, sorry, that evening. And I went to turn on the bedroom light and nothing turned on. So I was like taking my makeup off in the dark. There was no duvet cover. So I slept on a bed without a duvet. I mean, it's, it was really, oh, I mean, there was some amazing times. Like I stayed in some really cool digs, but a lot of the time they were really scummy. <laughs> and it was a real, like kind of, it was a real, it, 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 it was very, um, what's the word? It was very like, um, not even humbling. It just it grounded just you. Just like a person. nice experience, really. Yeah, it grounded you, and, you, and it gave me some like realization of actually like get down off your high horse, Alice. Like this is how some people live, and this is this is reality. Mm. And you either like it or lump it, and you just get on with it. And and I did, and I you know now I'm like I don't have any airs and graces and with things like that because I just think well you know yeah it is what it is yeah it does it teaches you a lot doesn't mm. it um to bring up a slightly uh, difficult subject i know you've recently become a women's aid ambassador yes. can i ask a little bit about that relationship was that happening during this time no it was before it was before um that was when i was at school so i was in year 11 and oh was i no year 12 it was it all kind of kicked off between year 11 and year 12 so You're i was really 15 young. really young and it was my first sort of proper relationship as such um and yeah, it was a very difficult time. I I think I look back on it now and I I actually don't know how I got through that period as well as I did. Mm. I think I was a lot more mentally scarred than I realized and things that have only and and to be honest, I think sometimes your brain has such a good way of of protecting you that you sort of like my brain for example just almost like wiped the Mm. entirety of that year so that I had such little memory of what happened that it was only recently probably in the last year year to two years and I started to have these really awful flashbacks of stuff you know things that happened I was like god this is so weird like am I dreaming this or did this really happen and I genuinely had to like question myself and then the, the more that it happened the more I realised that actually like the layers of of protection that my brain had put on me were starting to peel back and I was starting to, to remember that that did happen and at that point I was like do you know what I need to I need to go and speak to someone about this I need to get therapy I need to I need to almost have that cathartic experience of just saying okay this happened to me and I'm over it now but I just need to get it off my chest that these are the things that happened and um, and so I did and I've never felt better and I think doing that then prompted me to say actually or to to, 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 to realise sorry that Actually, there are a lot of people that follow me that I think would really relate to everything that I've gone through. And um, I have this amazing opportunity where I've got a platform to reach thousands of people um, to raise awareness and to do something good. How difficult was that decision to speak so publicly about it? It was... um, it was like 90% good and then 10% absolute fear. Mm. You know, because you never know... There's always that... Like, I felt very, very strongly about doing it. But in the back of my head, there was that tiny voice that was like, what if? Mm. What if he sees this? 
what if he shows up on my doorstep what if he finds out where I live mm. and for a while it's particularly like straight after when there was quite a bit of press around it I remember because I get up very very early in the morning to walk to work that sort of early morning walk being really scared for, for like a few weeks just being like oh my god is he behind a corner like mm. you know because going back to what had happened the like the assault took place when I was like I'd ended the relationship and I was at school and literally out of nowhere this car pulled up onto the pavement of Birkenstead High Street and this guy attacked me in the middle of the street you know so it's so unexpected and I think it's that fear of like oh my god what if that happened again like Mm. what if he like jumped me from from behind and and so yeah 90% of me was like I absolutely know that I need this is something that I need to do but then 10% of me was like oh my god what are you doing (laughs) You mad woman. Yeah. Have you seen her since that since that you no. entered the relationship? No. 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 I didn't even sit in the same courtroom. Like my dad sat in the courtroom and I sat in the side room like this. So um yeah, no. Absolutely crazy. Well it's very brave for you to come forward and I think that it would have inspired a lot of people. Thank you. Um so talk to me about your second turning point, which was books. Yes. So writing my books, I know. Like it's mad to think I'm an author. Like I feel I still feel when I call myself that I'm like, God, that's so weird. Um but yes, yeah, so I published my first book in May twenty I think it was twenty sixteen. Um and it was a real it was a real turning point because I felt as though that was me really solidifying that this was going to be my career now, that this was going to be something that I was actually going to do for a living. Um, I was really young. And if I had my time again, I don't know if I'd have said yes to doing the books then. Really? Yeah. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Just because I'm like, God, I didn't know enough. Like, I was so naive, but... When you're young and someone thrusts this incredible opportunity in front of you and you're like, yeah, cool, amazing. Like, you do. You you jump at the chance. And it's only with hindsight now that I think mm, maybe I'd have taken a bit more of a measured approach. Maybe I'd have said, come back in two years' time when mm. I learn a little bit more. Mm. Um, but I didn't. And I and I can't, I can't live with regret. I cannot do that. So I've just got to embrace that that was where I was then. And I might be in a different place now, but it's not to say that, you know, that wasn't a great time. And... Um, yeah, I, I, I don't. I wouldn't sleep at night if I went to bed with regrets. So yeah. I just kind of got to embrace. Because I feel like learning and personal development is really important to you, and you're one of the few fitness people that I follow for the very reason that I feel like you're so knowledgeable. But is it sometimes frustrating to you because you're kind of Insta famous that people perhaps don't know that you're actually as knowledgeable as you are, or perhaps that you're just like an Instagram PT rather yeah. than a real one? But like, completely. Like I literally wrote about this today because I get very. I get the, I have a massive insecurity complex about like my job and I I seem to chameleon myself to whatever situation I'm in but like my my passion is is fitness I love it and I'm very very passionate about working with others and and being a really good personal trainer but you know the last few years have been really busy and I feel like I've not been able to dedicate as many hours as I would have liked to to really honing my craft and I've had such an insecurity complex about it because 
we've all got that little voice in our head that's like, you're not doing good enough. Everyone's talking about you. Everyone's saying you're shit. <laughs> and I really have that. And and it's something that I'm dealing with on a daily basis. Like, I do feel like there are probably people out there that are like, why Why does Alice get given all this stuff? Why does she get to teach at X, Y, and Z? Why does she get asked to do this? You know, she's she's a shit PT. <laughs> and I don't think anyone's saying that. Well, maybe they're not. But I think sometimes I do have that, that real feeling of of people saying that and I and it's something I have to work on myself um but I think it's a good thing because I think I will therefore never stop wanting to learn and get better you know for all that for all that is bad about that and for all that I should try and ignore it it also does motivate me to want to be better every single day and to know that I can always know more you know I think the worst thing you can think of yourself is as being an expert mm. because I don't think you're ever an expert. I think you, there's always something more you can know. And particularly in personal training, there is always something new and there will always be someone that will challenge you and there will always be someone which will make you think, oh, hang on a second, I used to do things this way with people, but actually you've made me question that and do it differently. And I think I'm almost in a better position, therefore, because I think... I, I'm able to therefore be so motivated to want to be better and to learn and I'm hungry for knowledge and that's what makes me a great PT. You know, mm. I might not be an expert and I might not be the best trainer out there and I might not have as many hours as other people, but I will always try and be better mm. and I will always try and try and improve whatever it is that I'm doing now. So, yeah, you know, there might I might come to a stage in God knows how long, in 5, 10, 15 years, and be like, okay, I really feel confident in my skill set now. Um, now is not that time, but that's not to say I'll never get there. It just means that I have got um, a fun journey of learning ahead. Yeah, I think it's a hard balance because you need a bit of that inner critic, don't you? Mm. Like you said, to push yourself, if we all just sat back and thought we were great, we would never develop, mm-hmm. but then not too much that you just feel rubbish the whole time. Exactly. Fine balance. Exactly. <laughs> and then talk to me about your name change. So you used to be Clean Eating Alice. You ditched that. You moved on to your real name. Um, what did that decision process look like? Um, it was such a long time coming. I felt so conflicted by... The name that I'd chosen when I started my Instagram page, which was, you know, in my student digs, and I had no idea that it would receive the negative connotations that it did, to, yeah, I I just felt like it didn't, sorry, encapsulate everything that I was doing. And... I just felt like I was being lumped together with a load of really negative stuff that I really was was trying to to move away from. Um, so yeah, it was just it was like sat down with my management. I was like, I want to change it. I want my I want it to be my name. You know, I feel like I am my own brand and I'm going to own it. And so we oh, did it. That was that. You've got a great name for yeah, this. I, I mean, it was really it's handy. Almost like it was meant to be. <laughs> It is very handy indeed. And then your third turning point in your career, you've listed as your women's health cover. Yeah. That is pretty major. And those photos were just everywhere and still are everywhere the whole time. Yeah, it was a, it was a really, um, it was just a real honour. Like, it's a massive thing. And I was the first ever influencer kind of cover they'd done. Um, it, it was just the, the moment where I think, you know, people like my grandparents and my mum were like, Oh, okay, she's actually doing really well now. Like this, is pretty mega. Um, it's not my most proudest achievement. It's just something where I was like, you know, I'm, oh, it sounds so bad, but like, you know, people at school messaging, they're like, oh wow, actually, you were doing really well. Like it was one of those. <laughs> yeah. where I had that sort of like inner smugness of being like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I am. Like I don't pat myself on the, on the back very often. I'm really, really bad at doing that. I'm so, so self-critical. Um, but it was one of those moments where I was like. 
mm, actually, like, I'm pretty pleased, my pretty proud of myself today, and that's like a real, really cool achievement. And look, like, there are so many critics of of women's magazines, and I absolutely agree with some of them, some some of what they say, and I'm and I'm not sitting here saying, you know, I absolutely agree with all the messaging that goes down um, in women's magazines, but for that moment and in that time I was like I'm just going to enjoy it I'm just mm. going to be proud of myself and enjoy mm. enjoy this moment did you have any anxieties leading up to the shoot I feel like I would have been so nervous oh my god of course like we all do <laughs> you know if someone says they're going to put you on the cover of a magazine you're like what the <laughs> um, but thankfully they're an amazing team like I really have a lot of respect and love for a lot of the people that work at Women's Health they work incredibly hard and um, they made it a very a very enjoyable process so yeah. yeah, I'm very proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. If I'd gone to school with you, I would have been very <laughs> jealous and annoyed. But I know oh. exactly what I mean. I did an event a few weeks ago, and the audience was loads of people I'd gone to school with. I thought, oh. well, this is quite fun, isn't it? Yeah, it, it <laughs> take is. your it's moment. One of those things, you know, when you like, you know, when you go back at your like ten year reunion, and you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> <I> remember you. Back <laughs> <laughs> coming up from the woodwork. And um, we talked a lot about the positivity in the online space, but it must come with a lot of negative stuff mm. as well. Um, can we just talk briefly about the pressures of being an online person and as insta famous as you are and how do you deal with that do you ever just want to quit the internet many times <laughs> many times i i used to love blogging i used to lo- and, and i say blogging i mean you know instagram uh, mainly i do i do have a, a website and a, and a blog but um mainly on instagram i used to love it um where i am now is that i love bits of it i also really don't like bits of it um, I feel like it's gotten so big and so saturated that I can almost see the bubble bursting quite soon. Um, I I also, you know, when I first started, there was so much realness on there. Mm. You know, it was so much more, it was so much more instant. There was less editing. It was just, you know, this is what I'm doing and this is where I am and this is what I'm eating. And that's, and that's what I did as well. And I've just seen it become this kind of um, professional portfolio of incredible photos. And like, I'm going to be totally honest, there are times when it makes me feel deeply, deeply insecure. Mm. And I, I find that really, really hard because it, it completely zaps my creativity. Mm. It zaps my motivation to create content. And like, it, it, it makes me feel... Um, like giving up really some of the time um because I'm like oh god why do I bother and and also to a certain extent like am I contributing to the problem Mm. am I further exacerbating the issue that I that uh, that is that I think the internet and social media is making people feel really shit about themselves um but then I think actually no you know if you don't put out positive stuff and if you don't for example, with the women's aid stuff, you know, the the exercise content that I try and put out and the sort of real stuff that I try and get out there, then there'll be one less person doing that and there'll be one less person sort of like banging that drum and mm. I don't necessarily know if I'd be comfortable with that. Um, I think for me right now, I'm like, I just need to find a very good balance with it where I go on there for work mm. and you know I, I there are certain accounts that I love to follow don't get me wrong um, but that I really am mindful of the amount of time that I spend on it mm. like today I've had one of those days where 
I was supposed to be uh, recording something all morning and it got moved. So I suddenly had this like four hour gap and I had work to do. But like, you know, when it's like work, it's not, it wasn't like pressing. And so I found myself um, like scrolling Instagram, mm. doing a bit of work, scrolling Instagram. And before you know it, it's like a couple of hours that you've mm. like been sort of like dabbling in it and it's lost in it yeah and it's and it and I can feel the effect that that has on me you know my breathing becomes quite anxious and I'm I'm already someone that is very much of an anxious disposition and I suffer with anxiety terribly sometimes and I can feel what it's doing to me and yet I almost keep going back Mm. so my my things that I've done recently that really help are I created a private page where I just follow my closest friends and I love going on there because I genuinely smile when I see what they're up to. You know, I see the stories and mm. like when I see that they've, you know, done completely normal things like get absolutely trashed on the weekend and like, you know, go to a gig or like all those kind of things. And, and that makes me very happy. And it means that I don't have to consume any of the other stuff that sort of makes me feel anxious. Um, and then the other thing is that sometimes I delete the app, mm. you know, like there's nothing better than stopping you from going on it than it not being there at all. So if you can for a couple of days, just be like, right, I'm going to delete it. Or even for a day, it's gone. You don't have to click on it. It's not there. So, um, yeah, just... It's a crazy world that we're living in because we know so much about these people that we've never met in real mm. life. I know what they had for breakfast, where they worked out, mm. what they're doing later. I'm like, I've never actually met you and it's yeah. really weird. It's bizarre, yeah. I and know. it's become our new normal, but it's actually, it's quite perverse mm. in a way mm. and it's not it's not good for our own mental health. No, and, and, and it just leads to so much comparison. Mm. And... You know, if you think about 50 years ago, there was comparison, but there was comparison to perhaps people in magazines, but then like your neighbours mm. and your friends, which is a, is a much smaller circle. If you think about how far and wide our, our, our comparison now goes, you know, we're we're looking at models every day and we're looking at people that are living these incredible lifestyles, travelling all over the world. Mm. and And I'm there sort of in my cafe typing with my laptop with like a coffee being like oh god like what's what am I doing with my life like well I think it's also this expectation on content mm. that we need to be putting up like Maldives floating pool shots and stuff like this mm. the whole time and that people don't want to see the like everyday life mm. and um, that can be a pressure on you to have some amazing life when you're just a normal person yeah I know I completely agree with you I think that's, that's really do you feel point. like due to the nature of your industry you feel a pressure to maintain a certain like aesthetic do you ever feel like that's a problem with the platform I used to. I used to be very... I used to validate my success in my in my appearance. So, you know, when I think back to, for example, like my women's health covers, that niggling voice in my head was like, you're only getting this because of your body. Mm. You're only getting this because of your abs. Like, basically, I was Alice with the abs and that was who I was. And if I didn't go to an event and not have my abs out, it was like, oh, what are you doing? You know, like, people are there to see, like, ha- like your body. Uh, how wrong I could have been, yeah. <laughs> like, mm. I think... I remember when I started to realise that, you know, I brought more to the table than just my physique. Mm. And I started to realise that actually there were lots of different people that I admired and that I was inspired by who didn't look like me, who were maybe in bigger bodies or who were, um, you know, not not getting the, their body out every day but were so great in other ways. And I was suddenly like, hang on a second, like... I can do loads of amazing things and I've got so many skills and so many wonderful talents and I'm proud to say that that go beyond just the way I look and if I can 
start to to appreciate myself for all those things maybe other people will start to appreciate it too and I remember like even just starting to change the way I dressed like you know I used to go out in like jeans and a crop top because I was desperate to show off like my body and 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 be proud of that and then you know I started to wear dresses more and and just feel more like confident in my skin because even despite the fact that I was going out wearing crop tops. Actually, probably that was mo- when I was most insecure about the way I looked, mm. which is weird. And, and I think people find that really difficult to get their head around. You know, like, if you go out half naked, you, you assume that that person must be, like, massively confident in the way they look. But actually, like, for me, um, it was just a massive cover-up for, like, I'm deeply insecure about the way I look. Yeah. Whereas when I started to, like enjoy fashion you know wear things that I actually you know not buying the smallest size but actually getting size that properly fitted me and and feeling good in clothes and not having you know things that cut in but actually just wearing something that was you know comfortable um that was really massive and just understanding that like I bring so much more to the table than just the way I look Mm. and I think it came from a number of things like my mentor Andy like I've got a lot to thank him for because He's a he's a personal trainer. He's a, he's an amazing trainer, um, and the reason why I love him is because he's so wise. And when in, in his sessions, he he like delivers so much information to me that I'd be like, oh, I really want to. I want to be like you. I don't want to be on the gym floor in a crop top, being like, train with me because I look like this. I want people to come and train with me because like I can give them all of this information and help them in such an incredible way um, that it wouldn't matter what I look like. They just want to listen to what I have to say, and that was really a, cha- a turning point for me. But also, I started to like diversify who I was following. You know, I just finished an interview with Bryony Gordon, and I remember following her and being like. Pop, she's running the marathon mm. and I'm terrified of doing the marathon but if she can do it mm. well then like I can and, and like just realising that there are all sorts of bodies that exercise you don't have to be Alice with a six pack to enjoy exercising mm. and to like be good at it you know I can imagine how difficult that was though when you've had so much public attention on you you know splashed all over like the mm. Daily Mail and everything for looking a certain way and mm. then you say I want to relax or whatever it is that's mm. very hard yeah, it was. And there was definitely a teething period where I was like, oh, God, I feel really uncomfortable. But, you know, the more that I the more that I instilled in myself that I was doing so much other stuff that was great, um, the better I felt about the way that my body was changing. I had an amazing uh, guest on this season called Callie Thorpe. I, I love remember. Callie. I love Callie as well. And we oh, were she's talking wonderful. about very similar stuff this morning where she was saying I had to learn to love myself not because of a certain size or whether I could hit a goal weight. She's like, I just love myself and anyway just, as I am. Yeah, and can I just say that, like, I am so here for that. Mm. But well, the thing I must say here is to those that think that it's like this automatic switch that you're like, I love myself and therefore I'm going to be happy for the rest of my life, the end. It's not. Mm. There are days where I don't feel great about myself. Still, mm. there are days where I look in the mirror and I think, oh, my God, like, I just need to turn away. Like, I don't feel great today. I'm on my period. You know, all those kind of things that we go through. Yeah. But if you can start to just have, like, almost that daily mantra, and I'm sure Callie said the same thing, you know, it's not it's not a permanent state of, of mm. being. It's, some, it's a daily habit. It's something like, you're working it's on. It's something you have to constantly work on. And... 
it's less about love and it's more about acceptance for me. Mm. It's less about being like, I absolutely love every single part of myself. It's more like, I accept who and what, where I am today, regardless of how I feel. Mm. I just accept. And that, for me, is different. Mm. It's not about, you know, me saying, like, I can't, I can't claim to be a body positivity activist because I've never lived in a bigger body and I don't know what that's like and I can't, I can't speak for those people and that would be so wrong of me to do that. But my, in my experience of what I've gone through, I can certainly say that to love my body feels still quite difficult. To accept feels easy. To just say, this is who I am today, mm. and I'm just going to accept it, and, you know, that that that's all that I can do. And that, for me, is very, very empowering. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I absolutely champion people like Callie because I think she inspires me massively, yeah. you know, as just so many other people. And I think that that diversity and that visibility of bodies that, that are all different shapes and sizes um, is so key to us looking down at our own body and being like, yeah. Yeah, I'm cool. Like, I am. Whatever, I'm down with this. Whatever it is, I'm good. You know, I might, I, like, I don't know, like, the girls in the magazine, but neither does anyone. Yeah. The girl in the magazine doesn't look like the girl in the magazine. Have you seen the Brene Brown special? No. Oh, my God, it's amazing on Netflix. She's a, she's had a viral TED talk, but she's like, I've done so much work on myself, I like myself too much. It's oh, like, that's the kind of attitude yeah. that I want to channel. That sounds great. Okay, I need to watch that. It's going to be on my list. It but, yeah, I think that's so important because, you know, None of us look like these airbrush perfect mm. images that mm. we see in the magazines. Yeah. And it, the more that we see reality and the more that we see everything, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, mm. the better we can feel about ourselves. The world needs more Cali thoughts. They do. <laughs> and finally, just quickly, will you tell me a little bit about your podcast? Give Me Strength, the podcast was my desire to speak to all different types of women who have found an inner resilience from finding physical strength. So we have had such a diverse range of guests. I mean, I've just, like I said, spoken to the incredible Bryony Gordon. Um, my guest that is coming out um, this week, um, as we record, I don't know when this is coming out, but this week, um, is a woman called Martine Wright, and she lost both her legs in the 7-7 bombings and then went on to compete in the Paralympics. Wow. Um, we've had Dame Jess Ennis-Hill um, and all sorts of people. And basically, you know, for me, it's the podcast that I wish I'd have heard maybe two or three years ago, where I listen and realise that there are so many different types of people that, that exercise and so many different shapes, sizes, ages um, of people that just move for movement's sake. And, you know, yes, okay, we speak to some elite athletes, but I think speaking to them reaffirms that they go through all of the same issues that you or I go through, you know, that, mm. that, that fear, that comparison, that mm. um, fear of failure, all of those things. Um, but then speaking to complete everyday athletes too, you know, someone like Bryony who went from not being able to run for a bus to doing two marathons, that to me is like, wow, mm. what a woman, you know, like how incredible, how incredibly inspiring is that? Um, and so, yeah, it's, I just, I hope it's the perfect inspiration and motivation for anyone that's starting out either starting out on their exercise journey or, or on it in some way um, to just think, yeah, I, I can do this. Well, it sounds absolutely amazing. I'm very much looking forward to the Bryony episode. Thank you. Thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest, Alice. If people would like to find out more about you, where should they go? Um, thank you for having me. Uh, I am on Instagram at, at Alice Living, and that's got an annoying E in it. And same on Twitter, same on Facebook. Thank you, Alice. Thank you. Thanks for listening to She Starts It with Angelica Malin. If you've enjoyed this episode, then don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jelly Malin.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.